0: Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107, and today we have on a special guest. We have on Ben Hong. How you doing, Ben? Hey, how's it going? And you are better known as Ben Codezen sometimes, and you're a resume. It's going to, I'm going to have to take a deep breath before I read this, because <laughs> it's really impressive. Vue.js core team member, staff developer experience engineer at Netlify, Nux.js ambassador, Vue.js mastery instructor GDE note her like what 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 is a GDE first of all what is
1: that <laughs> yeah so GDE stands for Google developer expert um, oh, Honestly, okay. I would have spelled it out but Twitter got it's got a limited character profile so I had to shorten it to the acronym
0: <laughs> I got you well we have you on today because we want to talk about a little thing called Vjs which yeah. is uh, supposedly for modern front-end tooling so if you are out on the frozen ice of Lake Ontario in mid-February and you've jumped into a hole cut in the ice for your polar plunge and some, you're freezing your butt off and some guy extends his hand to help you out of the ice cold water and he says I'll pull you out if you tell me what Veet is what would you say <laughs> well Veet is a tool that helps to basically
1: bundle all your assets and make development just way faster so fast the amount of quickness that where I, I need to get out of this pond kind of fast
0: <laughs> because so it is is time going to go backwards it's so quick is that the deal
1: <laughs> I wish if only but it is so quick it would probably make your head spin so
0: now we say of those bundler things. though what is it going to bundle because I've done some php development and we don't bundle anything like what what are we talking about here
1: yeah it's
0: it's crazy i mean i think we kind of got to take it back
1: to the roots of web dev right that for those who haven't done a lot of web development when you're shipping a website you generally have the three core parts which is like your html which is the content you see on the page and you have the css that is styles the page and then if you add interactivity that's where your sort of javascript plays in Hmm. and over the years what's happened is that the tooling for how to manage all that, basically all those three files has gotten really, really complex from importing dependencies to being more following more traditional programming paradigms as far as modularizing your code. And so how we do that in a way that's efficient and effective is a really tricky process because unlike, say, like traditional software where you sort of ship a single executable to the user, web pages are these sort of dynamic pieces that you almost, it's almost hard to predict when you'll need what because sometimes you're importing in an embed at the last second and other pages need this, but others don't. So as web development has grown and build up, gotten bigger over time, we, we've had to be more careful about what we're shipping to users. And that's it. Mm. I think that's where bundling starts to come into play.
0: Okay. So if I want to kind of put this in a mental box so I can understand yeah. what Vite is. So I'm familiar with things like Gulp and Grunt, which are task runners that were used mm-hmm. to build some of these assets you're talking about. And then I'm also familiar with things like Webpack, which is used to bundle your stuff up. Is Are these the tools that Vite is meant to replace? Is it meant to replace your Gulp, your Grunt, your Webpack? Or if you're using Laravel Mix, which is kind of a layer on top of Webpack, is it meant to replace those things, that category of stuff? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think replace at this point would be a little far only because Veed is built on a technology called ES Build, which has taken kind of sort of the community by storm because it's basically a way to leverage built-in browser technologies to really speed up the way it loads dependencies and prevent a lot of these pre-bundling that happens. Happens. And one of the reasons why traditional local web dev servers can take a few seconds to, to load up. And so it's basically at this point trying to figure out a way to make that process a lot smoother. But I would say at this point, it's not totally ready to necessarily replace the traditional tools that have a lot of backwards compatibility support for older browsers and that kind of thing.
0: Oh, Now you tell me I've gone. I've, I've been replacing a bunch of my stuff. <laughs> hey, anyway, so let, I'd like to get into this a little bit for yeah. and discuss why we might need something like this to begin with. So I totally get that. In the beginning, we started using things like Gulp and Grunt because we wanted best practices like minimizing CSS and JavaScript, right? So that was a pretty basic thing that we were doing. And then we said, you know what? JavaScript has gotten really cool, but we can't use it in the browser. We can't use this ES5, ES6 stuff in the browser. We need to ship something that is kind of dumbed down for the browsers that are there. And then mm-hmm. we started to get into, you could use Babel. You pronounce it Babel or Babel, by the way. I say Babel. Okay, fair enough. So we go with <laughs> Babel. So we would use Babel either as part of a Gulp or Grunt workflow, or maybe yep. part of uh, with Webpack, we might be using it there. And what that would do is we could write in our nice, fancy... ES6 syntax, and it would compile it down into something that was dumbed down and the the browser could run, which actually is pretty amazing. If you think about Mm -hmm. it, we actually just had someone on to talk about PHP and the history of PHP, and they have just now released a tool or someone in the community has just now released a tool called Rector that lets you do Mm. kind of the same thing that Babel does. It lets you write in different versions of PHP and then build down to other versions of PHP. Which I thought was, yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. And uh, it goes both ways, though. That's the interesting thing. So the (laughs) the JavaScript end of things tends to focus on taking modern stuff and compiling it down to what browsers can run. Mm -hmm. Rector also will go the other way. It will take old code and it will modernize it. Like it'll add new syntax and stuff to it. And there actually exists. I looked this up because I I thought that Babel did this, but it doesn't. But there is a project that does do it. It's Babel spelled backwards, basically. Yep. Yep. but Labat, yeah, that's it, and that will actually kind of do the same thing. But the the point is that we were doing a little bit more. We wanted to use this modern JavaScript in our writing because it makes our developer experience better. But browsers yeah. didn't understand it, so then we we'd use it for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we also had this other little problem where even modern browsers that could understand modern syntax, you know, we couldn't depend on that people were using that. So we would write down, right. we would write the old stuff, and then we could do the old module, no module pattern, where we could mm-hmm. deliver modern stuff as well as old stuff to browsers, which is pretty cool. Yep. But then we still had the problem of the module loading API. So being able to run modern JavaScript was one thing, but the, yep. the actual module loader spec was only really recently finalized. So a lot of browsers didn't implement it. So that was the Mm -hmm. other part of the equation that we had to kind of figure out, right? Which is not just how do we run the code, but how do we dynamically load these other you know modules that we might need to be using? And my understanding is that that is something that Vite kind of leverages?
1: Yeah, exactly. It tries to leverage the specification within ES6 for loading modules in a way that basically prevents you from having to, for example, re-download things and to refer directly to the source, which speeds up that load and install time, which has been a huge part of the performance boost for people using
0: Vite. I guess that answers my next question. Then, so what, <laughs> what why would I use Vite if I've already got a setup? Like I've already got a Webpack up. Yeah. Why am I going to switch over to Vite? Like, what would be your your sales pitch? You're sitting there, you're freezing your butt off. You're in <laughs> you're in this little hole cut out in frozen Lake Ontario. Guys trying to pull you up. You got to sell them on it. Yeah. Why would I switch over to Vite? Yeah, because Vite um, at the end of
1: the day does so much. Out of the box for you with basically minimal config. And most importantly, as we kind of just discussed, it speeds up your development workflow by like a factor of I mean, depending on your setup, we've seen build times that used to take 10 minutes with a basically normal webpack drop all the way down to two minutes with Vite and sometimes even lower than that. And if you think about that from a factor of iteration and feedback loops, this is huge. And, you know, even as simple as getting your local web dev server started, right? Sometimes it can take up to even 15 to 20 seconds, which a few years ago was still really fast, but And now it's like, what if you went from that to sub one second to 900 milliseconds that you're up and running and you have your hot module reloading Um, with TypeScript automatically supported? This is the kind of thing where we're taking that efficiency to that next level.
0: I'll tell you what, that's part of what got me. So I'm going to give you a little background. I've done a whole lot with Webpack configs. I've yeah. got a big annotated Webpack 4 config and a big article I published, and I also have a Webpack 5 one that I haven't yet published. And literally minutes before this episode, I was patching my Webpack 5 config <laughs> 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 because Webpack Dev Server, the one the version of it that's compatible with Webpack 5, yep. was still in beta, and it just went RC zero. Uh, either yesterday or today. Mm-hmm. And they made a breaking change and just, you know, they just kind of moved some stuff around. They kind of renamed stuff. So literally minutes before I was hopping on this call to talk about Vite, <laughs> I was fixing stuff in in Webpack configs. Got it all sorted. Everything's good mm-hmm. to go. But one of the most amazing things to me in, in switching over to Vite was how minimal the config was relative to a Webpack config to do similar things. Right. Because
1: to some extent, I mean, if we think about it, a lot of us, uh, when we're doing Webpack configs, we're solving the same problems, a lot of us, from like minifying stuff to how to output it a certain way. And at some point, you do kind of, it begs the question, why don't we just abstract this away so we can focus on the other problems that we're trying to solve for our customers, rather than all just sort of solving the same problem again and again?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm not, you know, disparaging Webpack at all, because it's it's amazing. It does an incredible oh, yeah. amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I really, you know, despite the fact that I have invested tons of time in learning webpack and making a nice modular config and all that kind of good stuff. I was still pretty happy that there was very minimal <laughs> config. And part of the thing that I was most happy about was I had to do nothing to make it work with TypeScript. That Yeah, that is probably me. one of its biggest selling points. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot of, there are a number of different ways in Webpack that you can configure it to build TypeScript stuff, right? There are a number, you yep. can do it through Babel, you can do it through TypeScript. There are a whole bunch of different ways you can do it. Yeah, With V, you do nothing. You literally mm-hmm. do nothing and the TypeScript works. And what I thought was the coolest was that It almost felt like I was back in the early 2000s writing JavaScript code because you would do script tag, source equals, and then I can just point it at a TypeScript file and Mm -hmm. it will just work. (laughs) It just worked, Mm -hmm. right? You, You don't have to do anything. You don't, you're not setting up entry points. You're not doing this, that, or the other thing. You literally just link to a TypeScript file and magically somehow The browser knows what to do with it. So how does that work? So as far as I understand regarding the internals
1: of VEAT, it's that it because of how it does the module resolution, I think when Evan sort of first wrote VEAT, a lot of it came from his learnings of building uh, Vue, the framework. And so from that, I think he tries to obviously extrapolate a lot of those dependencies so that when it comes time to the build time, those TypeScript files you're just referring to in your HTML files, it knows to using, I wouldn't be surprised if he's using Vue 3's reactivity system to help watch this stuff. is what ultimately allows it to then go like, yeah, let me make sure I transpile that correctly and run all the correct checks so that at the end when we distribute the artifacts, obviously that TS file that you're originally referring to, your HTML file, now is transpiled correctly into a JS file that other browsers can properly read.
0: I mean, that's just so cool. And, and just to clarify, we're talking about Evan You, the creator of Vue.js, right? Correct. That is. I mean, I'm and look, to. look. Nothing against Evan. I think Evan's an amazing person, he, and I understand he's famous in the JavaScript community. But he's not like you know, he's not like a prince or Madonna or whatever, where you <laughs> no. just say Evan and everyone knows who he is, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> You're totally right. I should have given more context. <laughs> and I think the way this, I think the way it works is that when you start up the V Dev server, it sits yeah. there and it's listening. And when it sees the request for this TypeScript file, it says, "Oh, okay, this is a TypeScript file." I have to do some kind of transformations before a browser can use this. And then it sends it off to ES build and it does whatever magic it needs to do. And, and then it finally ends up sending back the result. Is that kind of a simplified way that it works? Yeah, that's a great that's a great way of explaining it. The other really cool thing about Veet from my perspective and getting all this stuff up and running is the speed like you're talking about. Like, OK, mm-hmm. the speed of firing up the project is not that big of a deal to me. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't really mind. I don't really mind if it takes, you know, 10, 15 seconds to start up the project because I'm usually spending hours working in that project. Where oh. I like the speed is the the HMR speed, the rebuild speed, because ah, that is just yes. incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so
1: for those who don't know, HMR stands for hot module reload. And so in the back in the day of, or of web development, what you'd have to do is every time you saved your code, you'd have to manually switch over to your browser and hit command R or control R to refresh. And so one day, I think it was like a few years ago, where someone came up the idea of automatically reloading the page whenever it detected a change within Mm -hmm. the code. And over time, that has gotten more refined to the point where it actually detects, it reloads only the specific part of the page that it needs to change rather than the whole thing. And so, so
0: cool. yeah.
1: And so to Andrew's point, the reason why this is such a big deal is because if you think about it, what coding a lot, at least for me, that makes my life easy as a developer is really quick feedback loops. So when I hit save on my code and I can see in my browser that change happened, the time between that makes a huge difference in how fast I can work as a developer. And so I've worked on code bases where once I hit save, sometimes it takes as long as 10 seconds to just get that feedback. It might be a change as simple as changing the color from red to blue. But with Vite, all of a sudden, that change is basically instantaneous. Like it's so fast sometimes that I sometimes have to manually refresh just to double check yeah. that I didn't miss something.
0: Like <laughs> It's so, it's mind-blowingly fast. You can pick out a web developer by looking at their keyboard or an old school web developer. If the, com- <laughs> if the command and the R key are kind of worn out, then you know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And that's where HMR is amazing because it goes beyond just the page reloading that we used to get with some live reload scripts and that kind of stuff. Like you said, it will generate a patch of just what has changed and send it to the browser and it will integrate that patch. And it's amazing because it doesn't even do a hard refresh. That's why it's a module mm-hmm. replacement, not not a module reload. And man, yep. the experience of doing that is incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's like, imagine if you're a painter. And this is how crazy the development world is, right? So imagine you're a painter and you've got your your paint and you have to paint in the air for like 10 minutes. And then you have to turn to your canvas and you have to, hit, you know, do something to see the result of it. You know what I mean? How awful would that be to try and paint stuff? And But here in the development world, we're like, no, that makes complete sense. You know, we're going to write <laughs> hours worth of really complicated code before we ever see a result. Yeah, oh,
1: I love that. I love that metaphor. That is yeah. fantastic.
0: So I, I guess let's get into a little bit more about what makes V different yeah. from Webpack. So we know it's faster and we know that there's less config. And apparently it uses this thing called ES Build under the hood, which I think is, um, it's a library written in Go, which is why it's faster. Is that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And how else is it different from Webpack? Is it sort of the opinions that it brings to the table where it's just kind of going to just work, whereas Webpack, it's kind of do-it-yourself? Yeah, I think in this regard,
1: Vite does bring a lot of those abstractions forward where, like you said, we know these days a lot of modern JavaScript libraries, they do use TypeScript. So rather than force people to walk through the hurdles of configuring TypeScript, which for those who've tried it before, you know, <laughs> can be a bit of a maze sometimes. Yeah. Is it, why, why doesn't that come pre-built into the system at this point? Yeah. And so I think it's those abstractions that can really help people as far as, especially when you're talking about new developers getting started with build tools. Webpack, again, to Andrew's point, Webpack does a, has done a phenomenal job at helping move the ecosystem forward. But from a comparison perspective, I think the tooling is much more approachable from a beginner's perspective because they're still focusing on like the core technologies and how to make things work as they want, right? Like build tools is a whole nother thing outside of simple web development. And so I think that's one thing that it does really well for the newer develop newer devs coming to the community.
0: Yeah, and I think the advancements in the platform are what let us do this to an extent, right? So exactly. I think Vite is leveraging the fact that modern browsers support things like the, the module loader spec that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And modern browsers support ES6 syntax and all that kind of good stuff. So it seems like it can be built on top of it and you might you might think well, there has to be something that it doesn't do that Webpack does, and I, yeah, I'm sure there there are tons of things that Webpack can do that V can't. But yeah. does it matter anymore? You know that mm-hmm. complexity used to be needed because of how many little potholes needed to be filled in order to to get this stuff working. Right. But in in a modern ecosystem, this isn't needed quite as much as it used to be. And I I wonder if it's sort of like the situation with doing layout. If Mm you used to do layout, you you used to know all sorts of just horrendous things, you know, starting with like spacer.gif. Right, in order to <laughs> right, and then also yep. using floats and clear fixes and just these absolutely and, and just abusing tables, you know, yep, and just mm-hmm. doing these horrible things just to make layout work. And now that we have things like flexbox and grid, none of that matters anymore. None of that complexity is needed. I wonder yeah. if it's sort of a, a similar thing with V. Yeah, I think. It's similar to your point. As the technology advances, I think one of the hardest
1: part with web is that we have a lot of times these clients, especially like whether it's large federal government sites that are unfortunately on much older browsers. And so when you have to support those legacy browsers, I do think this is where you might still be leveraging things like Webpack that need to call it transpile down because Vite does basically kind of make the assumption you're going to be supporting evergreen browsers and modern web, web tool chaining. And so in that regard, I think that's one where that's why I was saying earlier, if you are supporting those legacy browsers, that that's one where you might want to consider still keeping your webpack and other tools that helped you to make sure that things worked as expected in IE11. But if, though, if things like that aren't really a concern of yours anymore, then I, I definitely think it's worth people exploring Vite and seeing how it impacts
0: their team's development workflow and output. So my understanding is that Vite is more the engine that you're using when you're doing development. And in order to do the actual bundling for production builds, it kind of hands it over the config to a little thing called rollup. Is that right?
1: That is correct.
0: And so rollup is something that, can take your JavaScript that's written with all its nice modern stuff and can then transpile it into older stuff that older browsers can use. And there's a thing called Vite Plugin Legacy. Will that give me the, the backward compatibility mm. that I want? That is an excellent point.
1: I, I was referring to sort of people doing no config out of the box. <laughs> um, right? With, but yeah, to your point, I think the roll-up plugin legacy is one of those ways where if you're trying to support backwards, that additional configuration can make the difference as far as helping you ensure that you are actually backwards compatible to those uh old browsers
0: yeah i mean it's an unfortunate thing right where like Mm -hmm. you said certain government agencies and they have reasons for that right that boil down to accessibility and making sure people can access stuff and they don't want their website to just die if you're Mm -hmm. running a a super old browser so having some kind of a a legacy setup kind of makes sense Mm -hmm. and i've been i've been using that module no module legacy pattern have you are you familiar with that I've used it a little bit, but haven't gotten to dive deep on it. How's your
1: experience been with that?
0: Yeah, I've been using the module, no module pattern from Phil Walton. He actually published it. Get this. This is like ancient history in web terms back in 2017. Right? That's, <laughs> that's like, you know, that's like decades yeah. ago, right? Mm-hmm. And essentially the way that it works is when you build your JavaScript, you create two bundles. Mm-hmm. You create a legacy bundle and you create a modern bundle. Yeah. The legacy bundle targets whatever super old browsers you need, you know, no problem. Uh, IEO 11, IE8, you know, whatever whatever kinds of craziness that you really need. And then you also build the modern bundle. And the reason why you would want to build the modern bundle is it's going to be much smaller. It's going to execute faster in modern browsers. And those are by far going to be the majority of the, the browsers that it runs in. Yep. And then what you do in your code is you write something and you say script type equals module And you point that at your your modern code. Mm -hmm. Old browsers don't understand what a script of type module is, so they ignore it right? They totally ignore it. And then you have a second script tag, which is script. And then you just give the source to the the legacy bundle. And then you put a a little attribute in there called no module. And then what automatically happens is browsers that are modern will look at that and they'll say, oh, this is for non-modern stuff. I'm not going to load this. And Mm -hmm. older browsers just ignore that little no module attribute and they load the script. And the effect is that with, with no JavaScript config, with no shims or polyfills or whatever, you're delivering old JavaScript to the browsers that absolutely need it. And you're delivering the new JavaScript to modern browsers. And that Vite legacy plugin does this for you. It will create both of those bundles Ah, for you. And then you can just ship this thing and you're good to go, which is incredible. Yeah. And I mean...
1: Looking at the blog posts, like clearly, a lot of times we were talking about like shipping code to your users, and when yep. you do this approach, it makes a huge difference in the bundle size. In that you're not shipping people who don't need IE 11 support, like polyfilled right. code, that's which right. is amazing.
0: Yeah, you're not giving them the polyfills. You're not giving them, you know, all the the skanky babelized, <laughs> you know, ES six <laughs> that's been turned into 1990 JavaScript or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Man, well, that's amazing. I think that's a really cool pattern, and that is something that people can leverage. Like, you you know, you know, look at Vite, and you can benefit yeah. from all the nice modernness that it brings to the table. But then also, if you use the, the legacy plugin, I mean, you have something that you can ship to these really old browsers, which I, I yeah, think is amazing. Might. Yeah, I think that's yep, incredible. I'm glad
1: you made that call out. I realized when I was talking about I was thinking of the zero config way, but yes, absolutely great call out for
0: people um, looking to support legacy browsers. Yeah, and that's why I've been kind of transitioning to use Veet more and more. You're mm-hmm. right, though, that it still is not as robust of an ecosystem as Webpack. Well, of course, right? I mean, Webpack has been around yep. for forever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: so I think that's maybe part of it too, as I needed to clarify, is that for those who have major dependencies on different Webpack plugins to do things, yeah. those might still be in development. So I think that can break some people's build tools. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing how the ecosystem matures going
0: forward with the Vite development. So we've been talking about Webpack a little bit, but then there's also this little thing called Snowpack. Are you familiar with Snowpack at all? Yes, I am familiar with Snowpack. So this has always struck me as being super similar to Vite. And I've seen actually Fred and Evan. Fred is the the one who started Snowpack, and Mm -hmm. Evan obviously is Evan Yu, who has created Vite as as well as Vue.js. I've seen them talking back and forth, you know, friendly. They're they're both super friendly guys. They are very similar, right? They're very, very (laughs) similar. Very similar. Do you know yep. what differentiates them? Because I'm a little fuzzy on it.
1: Yeah. So the key, I think there's this great tweet um, I can send you later so we can, for the show notes for the uh, listeners. But basically, Vite out of the box handles both the dev environment as well as the bundle. So by using Rollup, as we mentioned earlier. So you kind of get this, I, I guess you can say like an opinionated way to get started really quickly. Whereas Snowpack does do delegation to plugins. And so from what I understand using Webpack and Parcel. And so, mm. you know, as a result, you get this sort of quick sort of starter kit that gets you up and running quick. And then I think there are some arc technological approaches that are slightly different. So to allow people to tweak dev and build things. But I think it's that starter kit that really does sort of, at least from at least at first glance, seems to really differentiate the two when you're coming out of the gate.
0: Very cool. So yeah. I think it's a much nicer world if we had just started, we just got into web development now, as opposed to <laughs> someone that was getting into it a couple of years ago, right? And, Absolutely. and that's good. Yeah. But, that, but that's good. That should be that that's way. A, yeah, I agree. It should not get more complicated. Right. It shouldn't get worse. It should get better. And, and for a while it did get more complicated. But then again, we were doing we were doing more complicated stuff. Right. So originally yeah. websites were web pages and you had CSS and maybe you had JavaScript that would animate a banner or do something silly. Right. But now we have entire applications that are being built in JavaScript. So, of course, it's going to get more complicated if we're building more complicated stuff. But I love the fact that we're getting some tooling in here that makes it so it doesn't have to be the end of the world where you you onboard a junior developer and they they just decide they're going to quit when they <laughs> when they figure I, out everything that they need to do in order to, mm-hmm. to get anything up and running you know absolutely
1: and i mean you know you're talking about the history of web and let's not forget we had a whole deviation at one point where we went flash right we were so heavily invested in the flash ecosystem and then it wasn't until we kind of that all got shut down that we sort of diverted and went back to like okay flash wasn't the answer <laughs> what is what is next and the yeah the web has certainly come a long way uh, since its inception
0: and thank you steve jobs for killing flash i really do actually <laughs> appreciate that like <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that he stuck a knife in its back, you know? Yeah. And so, it's you know, the other thing that you mentioned too as well, which
1: I'm really happy about with Vite in particular, is that, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the web dev community, there is sort of a lot of discussion regarding JavaScript frameworks. You know, there's React tooling, there's Vue tooling, there's Angular tooling. And it seems like for Vite, a lot of the, what used to, the framework wars that used to exist, that kind of starting, it's starting to take a little bit more of a back burner, which I'm really happy to see. And seeing the web community coalesce around tools like Vite so that you can use Vite to Andrew's point to start up a React server or to start up a Vue server. And I think someone's already working on, I think Svelte already exists. And so I love seeing the community kind of coalesce around this and help each other continue to improve on technology to help one another.
0: Yeah, thank you for making that point because you might think that because Vite comes from Evan, who yep. created Vue, that it only works with Vue. And that's that's right. incorrect, right? It will work with React, it works with Svelte, it works with all these things. Right. Or no framework at all. It can right. just be
1: vanilla JavaScript or
0: TypeScript. Whatever That's you right. want. That's right. If you just wanted to, let's say you just are writing in TypeScript and for whatever reason, you're not using a framework, but you want to be able to write in TypeScript because you're not a heathen. You, you like types, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, I had to get in there. Oh, it's <laughs> you just want to spin that up. That's a, a beautiful way where you can just spin it up and you can just start writing in TypeScript. You're not going to have to configure yeah. anything. Like literally, you just get it up and running. You don't need to be using a framework to be using this. Now, most of the time, the big benefit you'll get from the hot module replacement and the speed and all that kind of stuff. You only really need that if you're building something that has a little bit of substance in terms of how mm-hmm. much JavaScript there is. Yeah. So often you are going to be using a framework just because building a, a modern web app without one is kind of hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to get a little cri- tricky. Well, Chris Fernandes coming on soon. He's going to be mad at me because he's <laughs> the vanilla, <laughs> vanilla JS guy. He's going to be pissed if he hears this. But <laughs> the, the point is, you can use Vite there yeah. as well. And then you can get the benefits of you can write in your nice modern JavaScript and you can be shipping a legacy bundle and a modern bundle and away you go. You're still writing in vanilla JavaScript. You know, some transforms are done on the code before it goes to the browser, but that's a good thing. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about JavaScript. But I think it's also
1: important to mention that it has built in support for doing things like CSS modules and mm. like helping to bring those together. Right. And with your compilations and if you want to do prefixes or if you even want to do preprocessors and post CSS, that stuff is available you might need to configure one or two things but that it'll help you do all that um really easily
0: yeah and i use tailwind css with it and that uses post css in order to work and it 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 all just works wonderfully it's amazing Mm -hmm. and we it's also veet also supports something that we haven't mentioned which is wasm that's right WebAssembly. yeah so it will support WebAssembly out of the box and away you go. You can just be importing this stuff. And I actually found this is pretty cool. So we're using this little tool called Zencaster to do this local recording when we're doing it. Mm-hmm. We did a, web, a podcast on WebAssembly a little while ago and we found out by accident, you know, the, the guest that we had on Jay Phelps looked into the website and we're actually running WebAssembly right now to record this. <sighs> I did not know that. Yep. So Zencaster... It has a MP3 encoder, which is running Wasm in the browser. So it's doing Mm. real-time encoding of the audio as MP3 as it uploads it. That's amazing. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And Veet does support that already. Um, Yep. Now getting back to the the ecosystem, I think that people that are doing probably the 90% case of what you would need a bundler for can use Vite without any kind of an issue. I ran into a couple of issues with it. And these these are no fault of Vite. It's just a matter of <laughs> So a lot of the work that I do is with Craft CMS, which mm-hmm. is sort of like Ruby on Rails or like Laravel in that there's a back end as well as a front end. There's not just everything is written in JavaScript. Yeah. And Vite and a lot of the JavaScript tooling for that matter. So it's not just Vite is written from the perspective that everything's JavaScript. Right? So, yep. everything's JavaScript. And <laughs> in order to make it work well with Craft CMS, I wrote a plugin for, for Veet that sort of did some of the translation for you that normally the, the front end tooling would do. Mm. So, for instance, what it does is when you're doing a development build, it takes care of or swapping in the dev server versus when the build is production, it loads from the, the static assets. And oh. it, it does that translation for you. So we use the manifest plugin in Vite so mm-hmm. that when rollup does its thing, it outputs a manifest. And when you are requesting the file, if the dev server is running, it just points at the Vite dev server and says, away you go, do your thing. And if the dev server is not running, you ask for a specific resource, it looks it up in the manifest and it will inject tags for it as well as any of its dependencies, whether it's CSS or, yeah. or other JavaScript or whatever. And it, it kind of uh, goes through that tree and, and and makes that all work. So it's kind of a bridge mm-hmm. in order to make it work. And, you know, those are the, the small gaps in terms of stuff that may be missing but VET has been so compelling that I've seen in just about every ecosystem I've seen people trying to support it which is fantastic yeah that's amazing and one of the other small roadblocks I ran into is are you familiar with critical CSS mm-hmm yep And again, this is something that Vite, I haven't explored this avenue of Vite much, but my understanding is as part of its server-side render process that it can do, it can potentially, I think it's still in beta or they're still testing it or something, but it can potentially extract just the CSS that is needed for a given route and inject that onto the page Mm. as they're pre-built. I haven't used any of this, so I don't know know that for a fact. But something that I've been doing for my tooling for a long time is building critical CSS for the pages. And Mm. I went to, to look for a way to do this. And I was a little bit shocked, Ben. There was no roll-up plugin to do critical CSS. What? (laughs) It didn't exist. No. I swear to you. Wow. So... I wrote a small roll-up plugin and it's just, I mean, honestly, most Webpack plugins or Vite plugins are just wrappers for other packages. Yeah, sure. And, and so that's what this is. It's kind of just a, a wrapper for Eddie Esmani's critical CSS. And so I wrote it as a rollup plugin so it can be used with anything that uses rollup, as well as with Vite. And it will mm. go through and after the, on, only on the production build, it will go through and it'll extract all of the critical CSS that you need to build your final page. This isn't meant to be a soliloquy about me. This is just showing that <laughs> not everything is always going to be completely there, um, yep, but absolutely. enough people are using it that I'm starting to see all those gaps being filled in. Right.
1: And I mean, it's also a lot of people talk about wanting to get involved in open source and with an ecosystem like Veed, I think it, it, it really is ripe for contribution for people to make their mark and contribute something that people can really make use of as this type of tooling becomes more popular.
0: All right. And now that I have you here is I'm going to be completely selfish about this thing, because again, as we read in the beginning... <laughs> Your Vue.js core team and your Nuxt.js ambassador, this is my selfish question to you, okay? All right. I've got a website that is a more traditionally done craft CMS website that I've been wanting to convert over to Nuxt. hmm However... <laughs> I've been doing a lot of TypeScript lately, and I've been doing a lot with Vue 3, Yep, and I don't want to give those two up. Mm -hmm. So I've been putting off, transitioning, and trying to rebuild the website, waiting for Nuxt 3, okay? Yes. Now, all right, I'm going to try it. It's worth a shot. When's Nuxt 3 coming out, Ben? (laughs) You know, funny enough, I actually can give you an answer to that. All right, good. I
1: don't have a hard date for you, but what I can tell you is for those who are, I'll give you a sneak preview into the the next NuxJS Docs site. So if you go to preview.nuxjs.org, the username and password is Nux for both. You'll see a fun little banner on the top that says Nux3. And so right now, actually, um, Nux3 is currently in a private beta. So core team members and stuff are basically testing it out. But at this point, the plan, um, the official release from the Nux team is that during August 2021, they're planning on opening a public. Public beta. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, so, once that's released, they, will, they intend for a Q4 2021 stable version production. But for those of you who might be newer to the ecosystem, just so you know, when the Nuxt community and Vue, they tend to release the beta stuff. Unless you're doing anything, unless you're trying to do something like really out of the box, if you just use what's in there, it's really, you could probably start basically developing your stuff in advance. Mm. Um, so I would say August 2021, keep your eyes open. We, sh- we might have something you can actually play with.
0: Oh my God. I am so glad that I took a risk and asked. I am so glad because I was I was bordering on. So for anyone who doesn't know, just a little step back, Nuxt is sort of a meta framework for VueJS that it will handle things like routes and server side rendering and a lot of the stuff that you might want to do if you're building an, a website, right? Is that a mm-hmm. decent summary?
1: Yep, exactly. Yep, yeah. it abstracts a lot of the things that you would have to configure otherwise. Yeah.
0: And so it's really it's a sweet combination with Craft CMS because you can build everything in VueJS and you can leverage that whole ecosystem which is just massive and you can use Craft CMS on the back end with GraphQL and you know supply all your data from there all that kind of good stuff and it's just it's a really nice framework and I've been almost tempted to start with Nuxt 2 and go <laughs> down the road of there's a there's a Vite plugin for Nuxt mm-hmm. and I've seen some articles on using TypeScript, Vite, and Nuxt together. I also know a co-host of mine, Patrick Harrington, has kind of gone down that road, and he said that he said you could do it, but there were some edge cases in terms of the <laughs> TypeScript support that didn't make it that yeah. fun. And some, so, I've yep. been like, I've been kind of holding off. So, it's, I only got to wait till August. I'm definitely not starting it now. What do you think? Yeah,
1: I was gonna say it's not really worth starting, especially with Vue three having been and Nuxt three being rewritten entirely in TypeScript from the ground up. Yeah. I think we should see some. It's gonna be real. Really exciting for the Vue Nuxt ecosystem. Once Nuxt Three is out, uh, I'm super stoked. And TypeScript too, right? Yeah, yeah. The TypeScript and again, one of the things I still love about Vue is that it's still. uh, And for those who might be hearing this for the first time, it's optional. So if you're not ready for the TypeScript plunge, you can still use Vue Three and Nuxt Three without the TypeScript. But the moment you want to opt in, it's there for you. Right. Um, And versus the Vue Two Nuxt Two experience was, as we, as sort of Andrew mentions, is a little bit choppier (laughs) in comparison.
0: Well, and you're going to benefit from TypeScript in there, even if you don't use TypeScript, right? Because you get all the type hinting and all that kind of stuff without having to do Mm -hmm. anything. Yeah, and for those who are like, I'm still not
1: sure of TypeScript for me, if you use JS doc typing, it'll actually read that, especially in VS Code as an editor. So if you're looking for lightweight typing, but you don't want to buy into the whole thing, that's a good way to get started.
0: Oh, it's so nice. I mean, I'm I'm of the opinion that no one should be writing any kind of library code in 2021 that is not in TypeScript. (laughs) Yeah, that does seem to be the trend that if, yeah, that definitely
1: seems to be the trend that writing anything without types it's basically <laughs> you're just asking for trouble um, as a library author.
0: And I found out something when we did a, a TypeScript episode a little while ago that I didn't know. But the the guy who originally wrote the the Borland C compiler and mm-hmm. and wrote C sharp he's the guy that made TypeScript. I did not know that. <laughs> It's crazy. <laughs> he he made C sharp as well. I, I unfortunately I'm forgetting mm. his name, but I'll put a link in the show notes on that. But okay, so this is great. So what you're basically saying is I should wait until August, and probably we're going to be seeing a beta then, and that's yeah, when I beta. can kick it up into high gear and start doing my Nux three stuff, huh? Yeah, and then what's great
1: is that if you find any bugs, you can file them, and we can make Nux three even better, so that you can be part of the making it production ready for Q four.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic yeah. because, and uh, Murdy and the other thing that we didn't make explicitly clear is that Nuxt three, in addition to TypeScript and Vue three, I heard that you're going to be able to use either Webpack or Vite with it if you want.
1: Yeah, so Nuxt three will actually also be shipping with an entirely new rendering engine. They're calling Nitro, which, funny enough, as I was before the show, I was perusing. Like, I know Craft CMS also has a <laughs> Nitro engine too, which who is doesn't? really funny. Um, so, who, yeah, who, who so doesn't have, have Nitro Turbo? <laughs> <laughs> i mean everyone's got them right i know i know so nux nitro will be a, a thing a new rendering engine underneath and so yeah i believe they actually will have veet support out of the box going forward so which will be awesome i would love like seeing veet with nux paired together makes me very very happy that is very cool well
0: i am i'm so happy that i i decided to ask you about <laughs> this man i am so happy to ask you about this you know, it's it's funny, just as a parenthetical, mm-hmm. we use nitro to represent things that are fast all the time and, and turbo to represent things that are fast and all that kind of stuff. And I, I feel like most people don't even know what these things are. You know, <laughs> and Yeah, that is true. Nitrous oxide is where nitro comes from. And it's something that they would inject into a internal combustion engine in order to yep. increase the, the power output of it and everything. But the funny thing is, man, like in- internal combustion engines are kind of dinosaurs these days. And if you want something <laughs> really fast, you're going to need an electric engine, you know? <laughs> and, yep. And I bet we're going to be using the terms nitro and turbo and all that kind of stuff long after anyone's actually... Actually using nitrous any nitrous oxide anywhere or, or turbo in your engine for that matter. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. Oh man. Yeah. NOS. <laughs> and fast and <laughs> furious. For those who have watched it, that's what that's what Andrew's referring to. There you go. They kick on that switch. That's what they're that's what they're injecting.
0: So I'm excited that I'm gonna be able to use Vite with Nuxt. Have any of the other frameworks? Like, do you know if Next or Gatsby or those folks are thinking about supporting Veet? I haven't heard anything directly from those teams but it
1: does seem like we did actually I think we refactor I think the build tool from Next I believe using Veet and we saw significant build times drop. So I, can, I imagine it's only a matter of time before they call it like provide official support for that because I mean you know as frameworks and tool builders one of the metrics a lot of people want to know is how fast does it take to build and so right. I, fi- I really do feel like it's a matter of time before a lot of people just all get all in on this. Man it's, have, it's a factor of a difference when it comes to uh, saving time, not just like 10% or something.
0: I have a bone to pick though, about some of this stuff, like some of it in terms of the performance, I don't know. I think there are different kinds of speed right Mm. and there are different kinds of speed that matter That's fair. as a for instance the startup time for a project doesn't matter to me and maybe it's Mm -hmm. just me maybe it's just how i work but i'm not hopping between you know 20 projects in a day to the point where (laughs) it would bother me usually because i I found that in order for me to do good work i need to sit down and focus on something for hours at a time Mm. you know to get my head in the context and all that
1: yeah that's totally fair i think for me it ends up impacting me because doing a lot with open source, I am switching from projects a lot. Oh my god. (laughs) It's like debugging things or installing microservices and then switching those on and then having to turn it off and on for like sometimes full refreshes. So, but I mean, yeah, to Andrew's point, I think the HMR is the biggest one that I've seen the saving. HMR and build times are the two biggest savings I've seen.
0: Yeah. uh, The HMR is just incredible and the build times are great for two reasons. So one Mm -hmm. is just your own build time, but then if you're using a CI tool that does the build, you're losing using less resources, it's going to cost you less. Yep. <laughs> Which is yeah. great. And you, and you don't,
1: you get to actually with like, rather than like, oh, I'm going to kick off a build and walk away to get my coffee and come back 30 minutes later. Oftentimes within five minutes, you basically have it. Yeah. So it just, I think people's workflows are going to speed up a lot because they can rely on things to get done faster.
0: So I just realized something that makes me think that Next.js probably, well, I don't want to say they're not going to support Veet, but I'm guessing they might not. And the reason is that Vercel is the company that created Next.js mm-hmm. and they're they're. Hosting company kind of similar to Netlify. I'm sorry for mentioning the competition when I'm talking to you, Ben. I'm very sorry. No, it's the the ecosystem. It's the ecosystem. But they recently hired Tobias Coppers. That is true. Who Mm -hmm. is the person that created Webpack and also has something crazy like 80 to 90% (laughs) of the, the commits. So Mm -hmm. if they hired him, I don't know that they're going to adopt a different bundler, you know? Perhaps maybe not as, I don't know. It's one of those weird things, right? And that's what I feel like
1: as a framework, you you might have like call it the official one you bundle with, but like to not provide official support for the other build tools. Yeah. I think, I feel like that would be a mistake because regardless of whether it is coming from the Vue ecosystem, I'm a big believer in ensuring that people can choose the best tooling that works for them. Yep. And so there might be a reason why Vue doesn't make sense for you. And that's great. Then you can use Webpack, for example, right? Right. But um, so, So I'm, I'm hoping that I think you do have an excellent point. Um, Maybe Next won't use Vite as out of the box, but maybe hopefully they will provide a route for that for people who do. Oh, someone's going to do it. Uh, Yeah, exactly right. If they don't, someone will. (laughs)
0: Yeah, there's no question that someone is going to do it. There's no question whatsoever because I mean, someone even created this abomination that you can run. PHP inside of the browser, <laughs> you know? So if someone's going to do that, which just makes yeah. my skin crawl, the fact that someone would do that, I mean, if they're going to do that, they're definitely going to make it work with a robust technology like like Next.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Man, so this Veats thing sounds pretty incredible. If, if I'm a web developer that I don't need to do a whole lot, you know, I just want to bundle stuff up. Maybe it sounds good to me that I'll have this out of the box support for, or not out of the box, you need the plug-in. But this kind of inherent support of the legacy bundle with a modern bundle, and I just want my CSS to be generated and stuff. It sounds like Vite might be uh, something I might choose over over Mix, and I, I definitely don't want to be configuring Webpack myself.
1: Yeah, exactly. When you're focused on developing those skills, I think Vite is a great tool for developers looking to have a build tool to make their workflow efficient, but not dive into the weeds of, wait, how do I make sure that the CSS feeds to the correct pipeline and is compiled correctly, and as well as a JavaScript, it can be overwhelming for new people. So yeah, I think if you're new to the ecosystem, definitely check out V. I think you'll find that it's, ah, it's such a pleasant experience.
0: And that's the crazy thing is when you're a web developer, you want to spend your time where you bring the most value and you bring the most value in developing your front end web stuff. Mm -hmm. But you inevitably are sucked into having to do some tooling unless you're lucky enough to be on a team where they've got the dedicated tooling guy that does it for you. Yep. (laughs) And there's always that balance between how much work am I going to do and how much meta work am I going to do? Exactly. And yeah, I don't know. I think that can be a real struggle that you can get sucked into a vortex. Like when I was doing the the Webpack 5 config, man, I spent a solid month or two just working on, not in exclusivity, but working on that Mm -hmm. to get it tweaked exactly the way I wanted to. And during that time, I wasn't doing the actual work. I was doing the meta work. Yep. Yeah. And I think what's
1: really tricky about that, I mean, even myself, I would say earlier in my career when I was still, when I started to encounter the frameworks as Webpack and Grunt was starting to Gain a lot of popularity. It did, Mm. it was rather demotivating to be like, wait, so I can't ship anything unless I understand how to do all this meta stuff? Yeah. Like, this is oh, this is frustrating. And so to have that ability to have most of that abstracted away so that you can still ship things that are performant, and if in the future, if you want to optimize, you always can, I think is a great way to get that feedback loop quicker for people and to let them know that you can still ship things that are performant uh, without doing all this meta work, which I think is, I can't wait to do less of the tooling config for me personally.
0: Yeah, and this is going to sound like a little bit of craziness to someone who's in the JavaScript ecosystem, but I build all of my projects in Docker containers. Even my JavaScript projects are all Dockerized. So fascinating. I can just spin them up with, well, it sounds crazy, but it's great because you basically shrink wrap the DevOps with the project. So if I write okay. this thing and it needs node 14, that's fine. Yep. Like it's shrink wrapped with it and I, I don't have to use NVM or any other craziness to kind of switch oh. between them. And the other nice thing is you can hand the project to someone and they can just start it up and they don't have to do, you don't have to care what they have running. They don't even need to have node installed on their machine. Like it will just work, which is pretty cool. I gotta but,
1: say that is pretty nice.
0: But that's, it's, you know, there are lots of people in the JavaScript world that... That that sounds too much like DevOps, so they're not interested in it. But that gets into where... The difference in speed that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So yes, it does take a little longer to start up your Docker container than it does to just open up a shell and Node is right there. You know, it takes 10, 15 seconds to to get it up and running. But then you have the speed in terms of how much time did you waste trying to get the right version of Node installed or trying to get the right libraries installed and just, you know, the hours and hours of time that you've wasted usually doesn't get factored into the speed equation. But I think it's kind of important that it does. That's an excellent point. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And so if you ever see any weird JavaScript projects that are Dockerized, like it it might've been me. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. Oh my God. It's something else I was going to say too. You know what? It's going to come to me after the show is going to be done and I'm going to be pissed (laughs) off. But that's... That's fine.
1: Another episode on Nux Three or something, you know? Can, we can
0: oh no, no, no! Hundred percent. We're going to do an episode on Nux Three when it comes out because I'm going to be deep diving into it and hopefully contributing to it and, and doing some yeah. other stuff. So, so we are definitely going to be talking about <laughs> Nux Three when it comes out, without a doubt. Very exciting. Well, Ben, I really appreciate you coming on here. Thank you for talking to us about Veet, and I. It sounds amazing to me. Like what, if you had to guess, I realize it's new and maybe your adoption isn't isn't quite there yet, but what percentage of the stuff that you work on is Webpack and what percentage is Vite? And are you kind of chipping away at moving in one direction or the other?
1: Yeah, so I say most of the enterprise stuff I do is still on Webpack because mm-hmm. Vue CLI is just built on that. But one of the things that's happening within the Vue ecosystem is that as it's maturing and as Vite begins to grow in popularity, I think Vue CLI will eventually see itself move over to Vite. Mm. So to make sure I answer your question, though, as far as percentage Goes, I would say about 80% of my enterprise client work is still on Webpack things. But as I'm starting to do a lot of side projects and starting to move newer projects over, then this is where I'm basically starting to default to Vite so that people can see those benefits right out the gate. Since as we mentioned, Webpack does sometimes if you have those big transformer dependencies, you don't have someone to write those for you just yet, then you have to wait at the moment. But otherwise, yeah, Vite's my go-to going as of this
0: point. Yeah, and I think the developer experience is just so nice with it and having to set up so little to get it up and yeah. running is is really is really sweet yep love it that about wraps it up for another episode of the DevMo.fm podcast if you enjoy the show make sure to subscribe tell a friend drop us a review save Ben from the frozen ice that he has plunged into we would really <laughs> appreciate it for the devmo.fm podcast I'm Andrew Welch and thank you Ben Hong for coming on thanks for having me. editing to do between the kid walking in the dogs walking in and me forgetting stuff but man I really appreciate you coming on here I think it was a great great conversation about Veet.
1: yeah absolutely again I appreciate your insights and you know I really appreciate your the depth of knowledge you have with some of the uh sort of like the in inline APIs that like even I haven't had a chance to to work with so again I, I learned a lot just getting a chance to talk with you so it's really been a blast for me as well
0: I end up in weird places that's all I can say <laughs> all right